week, we started a new series called Hashtag Blessed. And we talked about the fact that God doesn't bless us just so we can feel good, although it does feel good. He blesses us so that we can bless others or help others. He wants to use our lives. He wants our lives to count for something. So for the rest of the month, starting today, we're going to look at specific ways that we can be a blessing in other people's lives. And when we do that, God blesses us more. Now, you might have thought that this series, Hashtag Blessed, was going to be, uh, oh, I, I thought it was going to be about how I can get more of God's blessings. And it is. But the fact is, you receive God's blessings when you pass them on to other people. Uh, it's kind of like, remember one time there was this uh, guy that knew a lot about the law of Moses and he, uh, Jesus was, was teaching and Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy says, mm, got a question. He was just trying to fool Jesus. He said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer to that question uh, uh, really was, it doesn't make any difference who your neighbor is. Let's worry about who you are. You be a neighbor to everybody. And so that's kind of what God's blessings are all about. Not about what can I get from God, it's about uh, what can I do with God, what God has given me? Today, uh, our subject is sticks and stones. Now, obviously, you know where that title comes from, don't you? Easy. It comes from the, from the children's rhyme that, uh, that was made up to persuade child victims of name-calling to ignore that name-calling, to refrain from physical retaliation. Don't let it lead you into a fight to remain calm and to do the right thing. That's what it's all about, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never, actually the original was words will never break me. Uh, we don't know exactly where it came from, but uh, I read it in the Christian Recorder from March 1862. That's a, a, it's called an old adage there. That's a publication of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never break me. Now, I heard it a little differently. When I was growing up, it was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. The one thing that we all know is that words do hurt, that words are extremely powerful. They cut to the heart, and they do more damage than sticks and stones can ever do. Every one of us, whether no matter how old we are, how young we are, we can remember something that was said in our childhood that cut to our very heart. It's amazing. I remember something that happened when I was in the seventh grade, and it was less than 100 years ago when I was in the seventh grade. It's like 1960 or 1961, and we were in phys ed class, and this particular phys ed class was social dancing. Now, what, I don't remember what kind of dancing it was. I think it was kind of more like ballroom dancing, you know? All I know is I don't dance. I've never danced. I will never dance. Jean doesn't like that. You know, she would like for me to dance with her, but I don't, never have, never, never will. And so, but we had social dancing and my dad made me go to school. And so we all got out on the, the basketball course outside, you know, and um, they paired us up, boy and girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. I happened to get paired with the prettiest queen bee of the entire seventh grade. You know, the one that had her posse with her and insulted people for a living. That's who I got paired with. You can imagine what this girl said 
about me while we're standing this close to each other and everybody else is crowded around her about this is the kind of guy I have to get paired up with. Seventh grade, 1960 or 61, something like that. I still remember that happening, you know. I don't remember anything else that happened on that day. I don't remember a lot about the seventh grade. But I remember the insult that I was given on that particular day. And, and, and for a boy, insults coming from a girl are a whole lot worse than insults coming from another guy, right? Now, unless you're thinking about one of those powerful events that took place in your life, and I say we're going to talk about words, you say, that doesn't seem like much of a topic for a Sunday morning to talk about words, but words are powerful. Think about this. Jesus is the living word. John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing was made without him. The Word created the universe. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God's Word reveals him to us. We're going to be judged by God's Word, according to John, in John, Jesus in John chapter 12. Here are some things that the wise man Solomon recorded in the Proverbs about words. Proverbs 15:1 a gentle answer turns away wrath but harsh words stir up anger words can change the whole complexion of a situation like that the fourth verse of that chapter Proverbs 15:4 the soothing tongue is a tree of life the right kind of words just bring people alive but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit what a word crush just crushes your very spirit Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. It's like somebody driving a sword into your heart. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Somebody else says the right thing, and it's like your whole body is rejuvenated. Proverbs 10, verse 12 doesn't say anything about words, but words get involved in this. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all the wrongs. And Proverbs 11, 11 says, through the blessings of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Good people bless and build up. The wicked destroy with their words. Good people bless us and build us up. Evil people tear down whoever is around them. And you have a choice. You don't have much of a choice about what somebody else is gonna say, but you have a choice what you can do with your words. You can build up or tear down. You can develop or you can destroy. You can harm or you can heal. It's your choice to do what's the right thing. And God wants you to use your mouth as an instrument of blessing to others. But you have to choose how you're gonna use the powerful tool. Proverbs 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Life or death, suffer the consequences, reap the blessings. It's your choice what you're going to do, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I'll talk to you about five ways that we can bless other people with our tongue. By the way, just talking about words a little bit, uh, I, you know, watch blogs and read stuff about words. I'm just doing some research and all kinds of estimates. It seems like there's more words in the English language than any other language. That's kind of surprising since we only have 26 letters in our alphabet and there's like 2,000 characters 
in, uh, uh, in Chinese, but evidently we got more words in the American language. It's estimated, I've read estimates between 800,000 and a million words uh, in the English language. It's just, this, you know, we just draw from so many languages, it's hard to tell what's an English word and what's not an English word. Uh, about 250,000 of those words commonly used, only about 180 or 90,000 of them actually in a, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the Oxford English Dictionary. Average person uses about 5,000 words, not different words, but speaks about 5,000 words in a day. I think the average man about 500 words, but nevertheless, average person about 5,000 uh, words. There's about 1,000 new words added to the online dictionaries every year. So words, they're just, they're everywhere, all the time. Five ways I can bless others with my words. And here's, these are gonna seem so simple, but they're true. I can show courtesy to other people. Rudeness is a way of life in our society. We insult each other. That's what people do on television programs. Well, I don't care what kind it is. Radio programs, our life seems to be about insulting each other. Just be polite. Just be kindly uh, to people. That blesses them. Paul wrote to, the, to a young preacher named Titus in Titus chapter 3, and he wrote this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. And then he said in this verse 2, in verse 2, remind them to slander nobody. Don't, don't be talking bad. I realize slander has a, 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 a legal implication in our society today. We're just talking about talking bad about people. Remind them not to be talking bad about others, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do today and as an exercise is to write down or to think about a person as I make each one of these points, each of these five things that you can bless in this particular way. So think about somebody you might be able to bless by being courteous to in your speech sometime this week. Peter, the apostle Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 2, 17, show proper respect to everyone. Show proper respect to everyone, not just the people you like or agree with, Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Who are you going to meet this week that you could bless just by being courteous? Uh, and they might, you might shock them, you know, a, a clerk, a waitress, a boss, an employee, a neighbor. The Bible teaches, tells us to treat them all with respect and dignity. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself. So who will I bless? Think about it. Who can I, who will I bless this week in this way? Who will I be nicer to than I was last week? That neighbor, the mailman, coworker, who will I bless this way? Show courtesy. Here's the second thing. With my speech, with my language, with these, this, this powerful tool that I have, I can offer mercy to people. We all stumble. We all sin, we all make mistakes, we all blow it sometime in our life. We're all imperfect, so we need massive doses of mercy. Each, every one of us does, no, nobody's above this. Maybe the most common way we can bless others is just by showing mercy toward them. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote a letter to a church in the Greek city of Corinth. 
And they had this guy in their church that was living an immoral life. And he said to them, you got to put that guy outside the fellowship of the church so God can take care of him. You cannot tolerate that. And so they did. And then the guy repented. He was sorry for what he had done. And they weren't sure they wanted to let him back in again. And so this is what Paul wrote to that church in 2 Corinthians, the second letter, chapter 2. He said, now instead, you know, all right, so you, you told that guy you can't fellowship because of your sin. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive star sorrow. Now is the time to comfort. He doesn't have to wear a sign on his head for the rest of his life about this. Now you comfort him. What do you do when people make a mistake? What do you do when people sin? Do you write them off? Do you put them on your blacklist? Do you erase them from the good list? Or do you comfort and forgive them so they don't give in to overmuch despair? Here's a common verse. Paul wrote this to the church at Galatia. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers and sisters. Uh, that means fellow Christians, right? Brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Correction should be done gently and carefully. You're not condoning wrong action. You're not enabling people to do the wrong thing. You're showing mercy to a repentant person. And Paul says also, watch out that you don't get so accustomed to it that you fall into it yourself, but gently, lovingly help that person back. Verse two, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, they're, they're, we all have our load we have to carry, but sometimes stuff gets on us that we just can't do by ourselves. We have to have some help, and that's what this is about. So in spite of the hardships and the dangers there, that are involved, and this is hard and this is dangerous, the Apostle Paul says what you're supposed to do is reach out to people who have fallen and gently bring them back. I'll just do a little commercial and say that's what Cassie and her team are going to be doing with the Embrace Grace ministry that will start uh, two weeks uh, from, no, next, next week, next Sunday night, next Sunday night, that's right. Mercy is an attitude of God. In the Old Testament, the Bible refers to God's mercy more than 100 times, and we think about the fierceness and the wrath of God, but his mercy is mentioned over 100 times. And if you want to be more like God, you have to learn mercy. Paul said in Ephesians, God is rich in mercy. And the problem we have here is this. The problem is that the only way to learn mercy is by being hurt. If you never get hurt, you can't learn how to show mercy to other people. But when you get hurt, you realize how bad it is and you realize it can happen to anybody. That enables you to help somebody else. So God is going to allow some hurt in your life, some pain, so that you can learn to express mercy to others. Mercy is treating people just the way God treats them because he's been merciful to you. Here's what the apostle wrote to the Colossians, Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody. If you've got a problem with somebody, if you've got a complaint 
with somebody, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with each other. That means gently put up. Sometimes you just got to put up with, with some things. Or make allowance for these things and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Each time I'm hurt, I have a choice. Am I going to use my energy that comes from that hurt for retaliation or for reconciliation? Am I going to use it to get even or am I going to use it to get well from the situation? I want you, I'm going to challenge you to develop a reputation wherever you are, in school, at work, in your neighborhood, develop a reputation as the person who shows mercy. I said this a few weeks ago and I'll repeat it. Christians should not be known for what we're against. Yes, we are against some things. Yes, there's some things that are wrong and they're hurtful and they're harmful and they're sin and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we should be known for mercy. Uh, you, somebody should say, she's the most forgiving person in our entire office, that Christian woman over there. You remember, some of you have read the story of Job in the Bible, you know, this guy that had everything and he lost it all <clears throat> and then he had nothing and uh, his friends came to him and they just, they accused him. What's wrong with you, buddy? You must have committed some great big sins, but he didn't. God just allowed that to happen in his life. And we don't understand all about that. But one of his friends came to him and here's Job's reputation. Job 4.4, this was Job's reputation. This guy, before he just lambasted him for, for sin, he said, your words have supported those who stumbled. What a reputation to have. You're known for this. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering needs. Be the person who forgives and blesses people with your words when they mess up. Encourage them and help them to focus on what's left, the good things in their life. You can rebuild this life. Now, it may help you to be merciful if you realize there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. You're called to forgive people immediately, whether they ask for it or not. Forgiveness is it should be immediate. That doesn't mean you continue to let them do whatever they have been doing. If somebody, for instance, is abusing you, you forgive them and you don't hold a grudge, but you don't allow them to continue to do that. You know, you, you, you stop that, but you just forgive them. Let's think about it this way. Forgiveness is grace, but trust must be earned. Forgiveness is grace. Sometimes you need to get out of the situation. Sometimes you need, you know, you, you can't let the same thing happen over and over again, but you forgive. Let me say something about mercy. Mercy is a revolving door. The more you give, the more you get back. Jesus said this in Matthew, Matthew's gospel, chapter five, verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So who will I bless in this way? To whom will I offer mercy with my words this coming week? Here's the third thing. I can express sympathy. Colossians 3.12, the apostle wrote this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with, put this on like clothes, wear it everywhere you go. Let it be the first thing people see when you walk up to them. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Here's a definition of sympathy. Sympathy is being able to understand and affirm someone else's feelings. That sounds kind of complicated, and it seems like we, we men, we don't know how to do that, you know, but we can. 
Sympathy is being able to understand and affirm someone else's feelings. Here's the way Paul put it. We can understand this. Paul said in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who, who mourn. Laugh with those who are laughing. Cry with those who are crying. Sym sympathy simply says this. I affirm what your heart is going through and, and, and I, I affirm your pain. I know, what you, I know that you're having great pain right now and I feel it with you. You may not know exactly what it is, but I feel it with you. And sympathy is powerful because it meets two very basic human needs. And here they are. Number one, it meets the need we all have to feel understood. Sympathy says, I understand what you, I'm, you're going through. And number two, sympathy meets our need to feel validated. Sympathy says, you're not weird. Don't worry, you're not weird. Everybody feels the same thing when they go through this. You're not bad. Everybody feels the same thing when they're going through this. Back there in Galatians 6, 2, we read, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The need to express sympathy, by the way, goes to faith problems. Sometimes we get hit so hard we question our faith. Sometimes we get so hard we say, God, are you really there or not? It happened with Job, evidently. When Job was going through his toughest time in life, he said this to his friend, Job 6, 14. Now, they're, they're, they're attacking him. You know, they're on the attack. They're saying all kinds of bad things to him. And he looks at one of them and he says, to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friends. You guys shouldn't be jumping on me and be, kicking me while I'm down. You should be showing me kindness. Even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Now, Job did not say he had forsaken the fear of the Almighty. But he said, even if a person forsakes the fear of the Almighty when, they are, uh, you know, when they're going through this terrible stuff, his, their friends should stick with them. We go through circumstances in life that test our faith in God. All kinds of terrible things happen. And what we need not do is let's not give up on each other when that happens. By the way, uh, there, there's a couple different ways of looking at that verse. Another way in the New International Version, Job 6.14 says, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. And I think both of those things are true. If a person is so attacked that they question God, don't give up on them. If you've never questioned God, you hadn't been through anything in your life. But also, also, if you do give up on a person, you are forsaking the fear of the Almighty. Words are our most powerful tool. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break a child's heart. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but words can shatter a husband's dream. Words can ruin a wife's self-image, or words can heal and build up. I understand what you're going through. I'm with you. I'm just going to be here for you. Who will I bless with a word of sympathy this week? Saying, I'm, 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 I don't care what your doubts are. I don't care where your fears are. I don't care, you know, I'm with you. I understand. You're not weird. Everybody feels the same way. Number four, I can speak honestly. If you're serious about blessing other people, you have to care enough to tell them the truth sometimes, even when it hurts. And the truth does hurt a lot of times. That means 
in a relationship, sometimes you have to talk about things you'd rather not talk about in order to make the relationship stronger. The truth of the matter is most of us care more about our own convenience than we do about the important relationship. The road to intimacy in a relationship, whether it's husband, wife, parent, child, whatever it might be, is through the tunnel of conflict. There's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some disagreement. There's going to be some tough things that have to be said. And so we have to ask ourselves the question in all of our relationships, what's closing the door to the closeness, to the intimacy in this relationship? What are we having trouble talking about? Money? I don't like talking about money. I hate talking about money. I, like, I don't mind spending it. I just don't like to talk about it. Is it a secret habit? Is it in-laws? Is it former relationship of some kind, a deep secret? Healthy relationships require honesty. I love this proverb, Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Now, let's assume you want to be kissed on the lips by this person, by the way. <laughs> but if you do, it's a, it's, a, it's a sign of affection. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It really is the best thing that could happen. Some of us have bald spots. We all have blind spots. There are things we can't see about ourselves or things we refuse to admit. We need a little help along the way with that. The Bible tells us to help each other. I'm going to go back to that verse. Galatians 6, 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also will be tempted. Now, that verse kind of indicates that that. If you see somebody that you love and you have a relationship with them and a right to say something to them, you take the initiative to step in there and help that individual. By the way, most of the time, people will not appreciate it when you first talk to them. Your seven-year-old, when you correct him or her, is not going to say, well, thank you, mommy. I really appreciate the fact that you won't let me go to this particular place. I know that's the best thing for me. That's not the way it works. Proverbs 28, 23 says this, whoever rebukes a person will in the end, not right now, but in the end gain favor rather than someone who has a flattering tongue. That is somebody just tells them what they want to hear and they go off and get in trouble. Uh, but, and, and another person tells them the truth. Ultimately, they're going to realize the truth was the better thing. But my old sin nature says, so who do you think you are to be tell, telling me what to do? Let me tell you a few things about you. I know, I know what's wrong with you. You're not perfect either. That's what you get a lot of times when you offer tough, honest advice. There's a few things about this. Now, some people are just real good at telling you what's wrong with you. And this is not a license. You just go anywhere and tell anybody you want to about what's wrong with them, right? Let's, here's a couple things here. First of all, honesty is not a license to say anything you want to anybody you want to. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about just, uh, this is it, and I know it, and I'm going to say it. That's not what we're talking about here. Let me give you some basic rules for dealing with people honestly. Number one, compliment in public, correct in private. Compliment in public. Gene and I have grocery shop together almost from the beginning of our marriage. Our schedules and so forth have just been such that that's the best way to do it. And we were at the grocery store 
last week, and there was this couple walking around, and you just didn't want to be in the same area with them. They were insulting each other and talking bad about each other. No, that's, I don't care what you think. In public is not the time to correct anybody. You might have to correct a child, you know, but uh, public is not the time to do that. Correct in private. Compliment in public. Correct in private. Number two, correct them when they're up, not when they're down. Don't unload on people when they're tired or hungry or, or anxious or whatever. Wait until they're ready to deal with the issue. And number three, yeah, you have to be open to correction yourself. You don't have the right to speak the truth until you're willing to accept the truth. And if you're willing to accept the truth, and you're probably going to get some of it, if you share your aspect of the truth, then you can share. Then you can share the truth. Who will I bless by speaking the truth this week? A friend, a neighbor, a husband, a wife, a child? And that one more thing, and we're finished. Number five, I can affirm expectant. I can build people up and show them what they're capable of. Show courtesy, offer mercy, express sympathy, speak honestly, affirm expectantly. Studies have shown that affirmation and expectation are tremendous tools to bring out the best in people. Uh, we tend to live up to what people expect of us, and sometimes we live down to what people expect of us. Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. You never know, never know when a simple word going to change somebody's life. I read this email. A pastor had received it. He kept it anonymous. He, pa he passed it along. He said, Pastor, more than 20 years ago when I was in high school, a classmate of mine shared a simple word of encouragement that set the direction of my life. I'm sure she had no idea of the power of that single life-changing sentence. At that time, I was in a junior in high school suffering from anorexia. At five foot eight, I weighed less than 100 pounds and I was refusing to eat more than a couple hundred calories a day. I had completely cut myself off from all my friends and all my family. I felt quite certain that I would eventually starve myself to death or commit suicide in some other way due to my depression. It was all I could do to even get out of bed in the morning, but one day, and I can clearly remember this day, my friend Patty asked me for help with a few algebra problems. So I explained it all to her, and then she thanked me and she said, you know, you'd make a great math teacher. I don't know why, but those words, seven words, stuck with me. From that single sentence, I realized that God had given me a talent that my life was not pointless. It took months to regain my health. It took years to understand the cause of my depression and my eating disorder. But today, I'm happy to say, I'm a math teacher. I work with underachieving kids facing many of the same, exact same struggles I dealt with in high school 20 years ago. I'm married with three children and I can't imagine a more blessed life. One simple little affirmation helped me to see what I could not see in myself. That is the blessing power of words. Here's four things you can do to bring out the best in people. Number one, admire their uniqueness. They're different for you. Don't, don't just tolerate them. I'm amazed. I, uh, Carla Scott, I've said this a lot of times, loves to teach middle school kids. Last thing in the world I would want to do, be a middle school teacher. She can do that. Admire their uniqueness. Number two, appreciate their value. When you express your appreciation for people, be thankful for them. 
it, their value increases in their eyes and in the eyes of people around them. So show your appreciation. Number three, assign them a challenge. Uh, Tom said something to me about singing this morning. About 35 years ago, Tom, I was pastoring in Central Florida, and we had this music guy by the name of Tim Ashcraft. And it was, it was approaching Christmas time. And in those days, you know, we had those cassette tapes. And everybody thought, if I just had one of them cassette tapes, I could sing anything. You know, I'll just go to, I could, I could, I could go to Nashville and make me a recording if I just had one of those cassette tapes. And so Tim walked up to me with a cassette tape, and he said, you're going to sing Oh Holy Night this Christmas. And I said, you got to be kidding. Nope. He said, you can do it. And I did. And, and Todd can tell you the stories about all the practicing. I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked and I sang along with that tape and I sang Oh Holy Night. It wasn't all that great. But I did it and I did it a few more times after that. I'm not doing it anymore. But you know, when that guy walked up to me and he said, here it is, you can do it. And I did it. And it was really beyond my ability. So assign them a challenge. And then number four is affirm their ability. You know, you can do this. You can. I see in you the ability to do great things. You know what you're good at? You'd, be a, you'd make a good math teacher. But, uh, you know what I like about you the best? You know, th those kinds of things. Give them confidence. So who will I bless with affirmation this week? I don't know if you noticed this, but the five ways God wants me to bless others is the way he blesses me. He treats me with dignity and courtesy. He offers me mercy. He expresses sympathy in my hurts. He's honest about my faults. He affirms me expectantly. The secret of all this is that in order for me to offer these things to other people, I must first receive them from God. I must first receive them through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't treat people the way Jesus would unless you've got Jesus in you. Now, I'm not just talking about becoming a Christian, although that's the starting point when we, we receive Christ as Savior, when we're born into his family. But I'm talking about making him as Christians to the center of our lives. And so I leave you with this thought. Put Jesus at the center of your life and be the one who builds up others with your words. Put Jesus at the center of your life and then with your word. Think about what's coming out of your mouth. A lot of times we don't. Think first, speak second, and try to build up people with your words. And you'll go a long way with it. Let's pray. Father, I know that you're here with us today, and I thank you for that. Words are so powerful. We've all experienced the good and the bad. We've all done the good and the bad with our words. And so I, I pray, Father, that you give us the grace to use our words for you. But first, we have to have you. So give us grace in that area, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.